Hello everyone and welcome to the February 7th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Let's get started with our litigation report. A group of workers' compensation claim adjusters have lost their class action bid for overtime pay. Here's what happened in the unpublished opinion of Kenneth Hodge versus Aon Insurance Services. Cambridge Integrated Services Group contracts with self-insured businesses, governmental agencies, and insurance companies to adjust claims. Cambridge employed Kenneth Hodge and the other class action members as claims adjusters in a number of different locations in California. Hodge routinely worked more than eight hours in a single workday and more than 40 hours in a work week. But he was not paid overtime compensation because Cambridge designated him as an exempt administrative employee. In 2001, Hodge initiated a class action suit against Cambridge asking for overtime wages under Wage Order No. 4, which regulates the wages, hours, and working conditions for professional, technical, clerical, mechanical, and similar occupations in California. The case was tried to a jury in 2005 but a mistrial was declared when the jury failed to reach a verdict. The case was then tried a second time in 2008 in a court without jury, which resulted in a judgment in favor of the employer, Cambridge. Hodge appealed to the Second District Court of Appeal. The decision was affirmed in favor of the employer in the unpublished decision of Kenneth Hodge versus Aon Insurance Services. Wage order number four, overtime requirements do not apply to persons employed in administrative, executive, or professional capacities. The chief issue on appeal was to determine if the claims administrators were exempt from the overtime provisions. At issue is the distinction between what is called the administrative production worker dichotomy. The court reviewed the law created in a trilogy of decisions pertaining to a class action filed by claims representatives against Farmers Insurance back in 2004. In the Farmers Insurance case, the claims representatives recovered more than $90 million for unpaid overtime compensation. The facts in Farmers, however, were distinguished from the facts at Cambridge. At Farmers Insurance, the claims representatives' responsibilities were restricted to the routine and unimportant. On matters of relatively greater importance at Farmers, adjusters were required to convey information to their supervisors, again, primarily a routine and unimportant role. This unimportant and routine role at the Farmers Company places claim representatives in the sphere of rank-and-file production workers, thus on the production side of the administrative production dichotomy, entitling them to overtime pay. Not so at Cambridge. In 2004, Cambridge employed about 200 claims adjusters in California. Cambridge claims adjusters investigate claims, review evidence, determine coverage questions, set reserves, and authorize settlement or litigation of claims. In the words of the adjuster's trial testimony, they are involved in complex litigated claims and are responsible for millions of dollars of their clients' money. The adjusters regularly interact with clients and lawyers, 
doctors, and other professionals and make independent conclusions about elements such as causation and appropriate compensation using their personal judgment and discretion and their specialized training experience and skills. The Court of Appeal concluded that the evidence in the case of Cambridge adjusters is materially different from the evidence in the farmer's case and places the Cambridge adjusters in the sphere of administrative workers. They are not ordinarily occupied in the routine of processing a large number of small claims. The judgment in favor of Cambridge was affirmed. And now our fraud report. Stockton resident Sonia and Alfredo Casas were arrested on warrants for 13 felony counts, including insurance premium fraud, filing false reports with the Employment Development Department, and failure to withhold or remit unemployment taxes. If convicted on all charges, each faces a maximum of 22 years in state prison, $910,000 in fines, and restitution. Their bail is set at $1 million. Last February, the Department of Insurance Fraud Division, the Employment Development Department, and the San Joaquin County District Attorney's Office began a joint investigation into Cal Poultry Labor and California Farm Services regarding allegations of underreported payroll to both their workers' compensation insurance company and the EDD. Both companies were insured with Redwood Insurance Company and State Compensation Insurance Fund during the years in question. Cal Poultry Labor supplies labor to turkey farmers, <clears throat> and Cal Farm was involved in harvesting and trucking. The couple also owned two other businesses, Bella's Bridal and the Shadow Oak Steakhouse. In June and August of 2010, search warrants for bank records were served at several banks related to accounts for these companies. These records revealed a significant amount of underreported payroll to the insurance companies and the EDD. Based on the initial evidence gathered, it is estimated that the owners have underreported approximately $5.8 million in payroll to the insurance companies. EDD, State Compensation Insurance Fund, and Redwood Insurance Company will conduct full audits based on all of the evidence seized. It is estimated that the total amount of underreported payroll to the insurance companies could exceed $15 million. Maggie Gomez, who is on the Daily City Council and who has also served as the city's mayor, is charged with 15 counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud. San Mateo prosecutors claim she filed a false workers' compensation claim back in 2005 when she was employed by Satan Medical Center. Prosecutors claim that later she was seen performing activities inconsistent with her injury, such as exercising in a gym, riding a motorcycle, and lifting groceries. The investigation was precipitated by an anonymous tip. Investigators also say she allegedly lied under oath during her deposition and during the trial of her workers' compensation case. She pled not guilty to the charge in September of 2010 and has been released on bail pending her trial. Despite these charges, she was re-elected to a third term on the city council in the November 2010 election. At her pretrial conference on January 31st, there was no settlement offer of the charges pending against her. 
She now moves forward to trial in March of 2011. A conviction or a plea of guilty of a felony would disqualify her from office as a city councilwoman. Thus far, there is no sign that prosecutors will allow her to plea to a misdemeanor. Her term of office expires in November of 2014. Nikki Lee Buxman of Sacramento pleaded guilty in federal court to one count of making false statements to obtain federal employee workers' compensation. This case is the product of an investigation by the U.S. Postal Service Office of Inspector General. According to court documents, Buxman, a former Postal Service employee, claimed that she had fallen while on duty as a letter carrier and injured her back and neck. Although she certified that she had no outside income or employment, she in fact owned, operated, and generated income through various businesses including mixed martial arts gyms. Buxman agreed in her plea agreement that the loss attributable to her is between $60,000 and $120,000. Buxman is scheduled to be sentenced on April 15. She faces a maximum statutory penalty of five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. And in regulatory news, the DWC has further modified its proposed regulations to adopt standardized paper medical treatment billing forms and electronic medical billing standards. The second 15-day notice of modification has been posted on the DWC website. The process of revising these regulations started back in April of 2010 with the first 45-day comment period followed by the first 15-day comment period on January 21st of this year. And now this second 15-day comment period should be the last that is required before submission of the final draft to the Office of Administrative Law. Medical e-billing regulations will encourage electronic billing and faster payments to physicians and are part of the division's 12-point plan to help control medical costs in California's workers' compensation system. The proposed revisions include correction of technical errors, clarification of language, and changes to improve the functioning of paper and electronic billing and remittance. One of the concerns voiced during the earlier public comment periods was the time needed for medical providers to upgrade their office technology to comply with electronic billing. This latest proposed regulation seems to have given some credence to this concern by changing the implementation time frame in the regulations from 90 to 180 days after the effective date of the new law. From a historical perspective, prior to 2002, there was no statutory requirement that medical treatment bills be prepared on a standardized form, nor was there any requirement that claims administrators accept bills in electronic form. Labor Code Section 4603.4 was amended in 2002 to require the administrative director to adopt regulations to provide for standardized forms and to require claims administrators to accept electronic claims for payment. In 2003, Labor Code Section 4603.4 was again amended, requiring the regulations to be adopted by January 1, 2005, and that the regulations must mandate that employers accept electronic claims for payment of medical services after July 2006. The amendment also stated that payments shall be paid within 15 working days of electronic receipt of a billing for services 
at or below the fees set by the OMFS. Members of the public may comment on the final proposed revisions until 5 o'clock p.m. on February 16, 2011. The California legislature is contemplating solutions for the massive increase in prescriptions for compounded drugs, medical foods, and copacs. In 2010, AB 2779 was introduced, which would have tightened the coverage requirements and fee schedule allowances for compounded drugs. The committee chairs reviewing this proposed law asked the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation, or Cheeswick, to prepare a background paper on the use of these products. Cheeswick, in turn, asked the RAND Institute for assistance. The 66-page study has now been made available to the public. Here are some of their findings. Unlike commercially available drugs, compounded pharmaceuticals are not approved by the Food and Drug Administration, but rather are regulated by the State Pharmacy Board. Any pharmacy that meets state law requirements can compound drugs. While traditional compound drugs are customized for individuals, RAND found indications that products are pre-compounded and mass-marketed in California, which would be a violation of FDA guidelines. Because pharmacies are not required to report adverse reactions associated with compounded drugs to either the FDA or the state, there is no systematic collection of information on potential safety issues. Under California law, physicians are authorized to dispense up to a three-day supply of compound medications. This limitation is difficult to monitor since correct patient dosage is not clearly ascertainable. In-office dispensing offers an additional revenue stream for physicians to supplement their revenues from providing patient care services. The most commonly prescribed compound drugs used by work comp patients are topical analgesic creams and lotions. These products grew from 2.3% to 12% of medication expenses between 2006 and 2009. Nearly 25% of medical treatment liens involve pharmacies or physician-dispensed drugs. Health programs other than workers' compensation have adopted policies that provide more assurance that drugs are medically appropriate and payments are reasonable, and as a result, have not experienced comparable growth. To curtail abusive practices, the report suggests improving quantity control measures by adding provisions to the medical treatment utilization schedule and price control measures by adding provisions to the official medical fee schedule. The medical treatment utilization schedule, or MTUS, should be updated and expanded to address compounded drugs as a product class. It should be noted that existing guidelines require evidence-based treatment and that most high-volume compound drug ingredients identified in that document are not recommended because there is no evidence base to support their use. Many of these are currently addressed by name in the MTUS chronic pain guideline. Similarly, the MTUS should address the appropriateness of medical foods. The Division of Workers' Compensation has launched a new e-billboard for the Los Angeles District Office. This tool can be used to get court announcements and information to practitioners as quickly as possible. Users can now learn everything from the basics, such as court hours and where to park, to the most recent updates on lien consolidation pleadings. Los Angeles Presiding Judge Georgia Frank 
said her office wants the electronic billboard to be inviting, interesting, and extremely easy to use. While the e-billboard provides links to general information, its purpose is to make information specifically related to the Los Angeles District Office easy to find. The site also provides a link to the DWC's new public information case search tool. The new LA e-billboard can be found on the DWC website. The Workers' Compensation Ethics Advisory Committee, or EAC, is a state committee independent of the Division of Workers' Compensation. The EAC is charged with reviewing and monitoring complaints of misconduct filed against workers' compensation administrative law judges. These judges are not subject to review by the California Commission on Judicial Performance, the agency which is responsible for investigating misconduct complaints directed at judges serving on the superior and appellate courts. The EAC meets four times each year to review complaints of judicial misconduct and to recommend to the DWC court administrator if a complaint warrants a formal investigation. Any person may file a complaint with the committee and the committee will accept anonymous complaints. There were 182 judges serving the 24 district offices located throughout California subject to their scrutiny in 2009. There were 28 complaints filed against them. 20 complaints were filed by unrepresented workers, 4 by represented workers, 2 by applicant attorneys, and 2 by defense attorneys. The facts of 23 of the cases were outlined in the 2009 report. The committee did not identify any violations of the California Code of Judicial Ethics or the division's ethics regulations in any of the cases. One case summary outlined the case that came closest to a finding of an ethical violation. In that case, a defense attorney made a written request to the presiding judge asking that the California Highway Patrol be present at a hearing that involved a previously diagnosed mentally disturbed employee who had written a letter accusing the attorney of being dishonest and referring to him as the evil enemy. The presiding judge arranged to have CHP officers present. The trial judge, however, was not happy to find the police in her courtroom. The complainant stated that when he expressed an apology to the judge for causing her to become upset, the judge screamed at him. The attorney alleged that the judge then put a statement in the minutes which placed him in danger because the employee would read the minutes and become upset. When the complainant thanked the judge for his time, the judge screamed at him again. After the hearing, another attorney from his office attempted to speak to the judge, but the judge would not speak to him and the judge did not permit the attorney to copy the minutes of hearing at that time. The judge in this case was no longer employed by the division when the committee considered the results of the investigation. Although the committee concluded there were possible ethical violations, no action could be taken because the judge in question was no longer employed. The committee closed its file. The DWC Audit Unit's 2010 annual report is now available. This report provides information on how claims administrators who were audited in 2009 performed and includes a ranking report. The audit unit completed a total of 53 profile audit reviews. 50 were routinely selected and 3 were target audits based upon failure of a prior audit. Compliance officers audited 3,300 claim files. 
The audit unit find, found and cited 6,254 violations with administrative penalties, totaling nearly $2,100,000. However, not all administrative penalties are subject to collection. Under the Labor Code, no penalties are assessed on those cited violations unless the audit subject fails the audit at a specified level. Accordingly, the audit unit did not assess approximately $890,000 of the cited violations. There were close to 600 claims in which injured workers were owed unpaid compensation of over $700,000. This was an average of over $1,200 per file. Since 2003, the average compensation due per file increased in all but two years. Congratulations to the top five performing companies who were the, who were the Association of California Water Agencies in Citrus Heights, Republic Indemnity Company in Encino, Sedgwick Claims Management Services in Rancho Cordova, Metro Risk Management in Wilmington, and Hutch & Son TPA in Simi Valley. More states now propose a ban on workers' compensation benefits for illegal immigrants. A few weeks ago, the Montana House gave approval to a bill banning illegal immigrants from receiving workers' compensation insurance benefits. The measure was endorsed on a 60-39 vote and will now be going to the Senate. Similar bills are now pending in Georgia, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. Georgia Senator Bill Heath has introduced Senate Bill 7, which would deny benefits to injured workers who were determined to be undocumented at the time of their injury. He has also been supporting a movement to ban illegal immigrants from attending Georgia public colleges and universities. In Georgia, the Court of Appeals has previously ruled in many cases that undocumented injured workers are indeed entitled to workers' comp benefits. SB 7, if passed, hopes to end payments of these benefits in Georgia. In South Carolina, Republican lawmakers introduced SB 21 on January 11th, which would restrict illegal immigrants from receiving workers' comp benefits in their state. In New Hampshire, HB 236 was introduced early this month by Republican William Infantine, which would limit work comp benefits to medical expenses and remedial payments when an illegal immigrant is injured on the job. It also would require employers or insurers to pay for workers' comp benefits if they knew or should have known that an injured worker resided in the country illegally. One of the main concerns raised by these bills is the potential for the unintended consequence of litigation by excluded workers against employers who would theoretically not be protected by the exclusive remedy of workers' compensation. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or iPod by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please join us again next week for more news.